commandment, and it really is a commandment to be thankful. That thankfulness or thanksgiving is not just an act of praise, but it's commanded that we are to be thankful. And this week that's coming, dedicated to thanksgiving, and, and, and you know, obviously I said it already, let me say it again, if you limit your thanksgiving to just one week a year, you're really not following the commandment to be thankful. That first thanksgiving back in 1623, William Bradshaw was the governor there, and this is what he said. Inasmuch as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages, he spared us from the pestilence, spared us from the disease, and granted us freedom to worship. God, according to the dictates of our own conscience, that I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th, in the year of our Lord, 1623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for his blessings. That's hard to read in that uh, Puritan language. But, but it, was, it was the start of, of our nation, if you will, started and founded on the, on the fact that God has blessed us. In, eight, or in 1789, the, George Washington, our first president, he recalled the blessings of our young nation. And he said we should honor God with a national day of thanksgiving. It was October 1863. With our nation embroiled in a bitter conflict called the Civil War that President Abraham Lincoln in the midst of that said we're going to declare the last Thursday in November as Thanksgiving Day. And this, uh, this Thanksgiving, it's, I would say that much like many of our holidays, it gets swallowed up by other things. Far too many celebrate Thanksgiving as football, food, and fellowship. But it really is a understanding. It's a time for families to gather around a table. They gather with people that maybe you haven't seen in over a year. And you eat enormous amounts of food, probably. You take a nap because there's some chemical in turkey that you know makes you comatose, I guess. And uh, then you do the same thing over again. Some of you have multiple Thanksgivings as you go to different people's houses. But it's, it should be the celebration of of the fact that God has blessed us over and over and over again. The cornucopia, which we don't use very often. I, I remember every year in De Quincey, Louisiana, they had that communion table that a lot of churches had uh, back then in front of the pulpit. And Every year they put that cornucopia, that wicker uh, horn-shaped thing, and it just had stuff spilling out of it. And that's really what it represented, that God had blessed so much that you know, it wouldn't fit all there. We've been blessed. We've been blessed. But this thankfulness is really a commandment, and I want to I want to take some time to look through it. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. And I'm going to read this one from the English Standard Version. Some other verses I'll read from the King James. But it's one of those verses, Brother Brother Randall Lee, he, he started our service and he was talking about some apostolic things. Reading the book of Romans and and, and some other places. And there are so many good 
commandments and things that we ought to do. And this is one of those. But to be honest, until today, I had never put it all together. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 says this. And put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy beloved, put on compassionate hearts. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase. Put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God, or peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And then here, and be thankful. And then verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three times in that diatribe of various things that you and I ought to do, it comes back to say, be thankful. It's Psalms 95 that says, come and, uh, Oh, come and let us sing unto the Lord and make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise to Him with psalms. And you can read the rest of that. It's Psalms 100 that says, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. There's something about that. One of my favorite Bible teachers, uh, he was one of my professors in, in Bible college, the Jim Littles. He's preached here on several occasions. He's now in Texas uh, as a family pastor there. But he made this statement in some things that I have of his. And he made this statement. He says, Thanksgiving provides an opportunity to remember or, and, and this is what Brother Littles was so incredible in. He, he, he would take a word that you use all the time, remember. When's the last time you thought about what remember really means? And if you, if you put the word together, re, meaning do again, member, like the member of a party, uh, of a body, or it, it's literally to put it together again. And what he said is to be rejoined. And so thanksgiving is to be rejoined to the many privileges and blessings that you and I have received. It's a little difficult, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing and quoting still from, from Brother Littles. It, it's a little difficult in a culture that spends most of our energy and our time convincing ourselves and convincing others that we don't have enough. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about the culture. Think about the, the world we live in. And so much of what we do is, is a, it, it's put on, we don't have enough, we've got to get more. We don't have enough food. Got to eat more. And what's very interesting, and again, this is something I'd never put together until literally today. I, I was going through uh, some verses in the Bible. It's, you know, with concordances, it's so cool. You can put one word in it and show you all the verses in the Bible that has that word. And so I was just kind of going through it, and I don't know how I missed it. But it appears to me, that the journey away from God, the journey of backsliding, the journey of a descent into a sin-filled, debauch lifestyle starts with unthankfulness. 
And so if that's the start of it, then I've got to be very careful I don't get there. You know, if you kind of know where the start of a bad road is, just don't ever start. And so rather than wait until it's too late, start or, or, you know, never get there. But I want you to, I want to read Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 is one of the most scathing indictments of the world that Paul was living in and still is true today, the world that you and I live in. And so just kind of walk with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What this means is, regardless of who you are and where you come from and whether you've ever stepped foot in a church, you will not have an excuse to not honor God because it's just been told from the beginning. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became foolish in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause or for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relation for those that are contrary to nation, nature and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do all, what, what ought not to be done They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They were gossipers. They slandered. They hate God. They're insolent. They're haughty. They're boastful. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only did them, but gave approval to those who practiced them. That's a scathing indictment. And we see that in our world today. Almost every sin is mentioned there. Almost everything starts right there. But did you catch it back in verse 21? For they knew God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And I begin to think about that. When when we don't honor God, when we don't thank God for what He's done in our life, we tend to forget who he is and what he's done. And when you begin to forget those things, then God slowly becomes a distant concept. It's it's when when you don't have him with you and when you're not seeing him on a daily basis, when you're not hearing his voice in your life on a daily basis, when you're not examining what he's doing in your life on a daily basis, pretty soon a couple days have gone by and you've not thought about him. And then a couple weeks go by and you haven't thought about him. And then a year goes by and you haven't thought about him. And he slowly becomes erased from your conscience and from your mind 
And pretty soon you walk down that path that we just read. Be thankful. The Probably the most beautiful picture of thankfulness is found in the story contained in Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. It's one that, that you cannot preach about thankfulness. You cannot get into thankfulness. You can't go any of that without getting back here. When it came to pass, as Jesus went to Jerusalem, he passes by the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and he enters into a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers. Lepers that were, could not connect with people. They had to stay on the outskirts of society. They had to put a cloth or a, a, a rag around their mouth so that you know, people wouldn't breathe whatever sickness they had. They had to say, I'm unclean wherever I go. They were, they were shunned. They were pushed out. And when they saw Jesus, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw him, he said unto them, Go and show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his feet and gave him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? These are not found. Return to give glory to God, save the stranger. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. I'm not for sure if some, somewhere recently I heard this preaching. I don't know if it was here at this church, and if it was, and I forgot who preached it, please forgive me. But I heard a, a preacher say that, you know, leprosy, what, what leprosy did was it dulled your senses. Leprosy would, would cause you to wear extremities no longer had feelings. So you could, you could injure uh, your extremities, not feel it, not realize it was injured, and, and you could get frostbite and never know it. And, and pretty soon, you know, they'd have to amputate or there was gangrene and things like that that would happen. And so many lepers had lost their extremities. Their ears would, would, would get injured or they would freeze and they'd fall off, if you will. And, and so many of the lepers were disfigured. And I heard a preacher preach. Again, if it was one of you, I apologize for the thing I got in within me that I'm not put credit to where credit is due. But said, uh... Could it be that the one that returned to thank Jesus, he said, not only are you cleansed, you no longer have the leprosy, but I'll restore what you've lost. There was something about this act of returning and thanking that even Jesus mentioned of it. He said, where, where are the other nine? I assume that they're happy that God has touched them. Why did they not return to glory to God save this stranger? There's a commitment to be thankful. To be thankful means you recognize what God is doing in your life. To be thankful means you have to stop for a moment. The Bible says that when he saw he was healed, he turned back, loud voice glorified God. There was a lot of things he could have done at that moment. He had to go show himself priest. If the priest would give a clean bill of health according to Leviticus chapter 14, then he would be able to return to his family and his friends and be integrated back into society. Perhaps hadn't hugged his wife in many years. There's a lot of things he could have done, but he looked, he thought, he saw, I have been touched. And he returned to give God thanksgiving. 
Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 17 that every good and perfect gift is from above and it cometh down from the Father of all of whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. I don't know how you see that verse and how you want to extrapolate the truth out of that verse, but let me tell you what I see out of that verse. If there's any good gift in your life, if there's any good thing that's ever happened to you, while you could say, I'm glad I got a college degree because it gave me a good job, or you could thank your boss for giving you a raise or thank your family for a gift, but this says that every good, perfect gift starts from above. So everything I have, I give him thanks. But I want to I take a, a little bit different approach tonight because if I spend my whole sermon telling you to give God thanks, by, by this point, if you don't know that, I don't know that my sermon's going to change your mind. I don't know that anybody's going to walk out of here on a Wednesday night and go, man, pastor preached a message that I'm man to be thankful, and then suddenly the whole lifestyle changes and you thank God. I mean, maybe there's one I might fix, but if you haven't figured that out by now, man, we're in a, we're in a heap of trouble. But thanks on this, is more than just an expression to God. Thankfulness teaches something to those that are following you. And this is what I really want to want to focus on. In the book of Exodus, chapter thirty-seven—I'm sorry, book, books is chapter twelve—says, "And it shall come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord give you according to that which He hath promised, that you will keep this service. It shall come to pass when your children say unto you, What?" mean ye by this service. What it was talking about was Passover. That there would be this moment where you, you know they were going to keep Passover they would have to uh, go get a lamb, kill the lamb paint the blood of the lamb on the doorposts they'd have to have to eat the, 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 the lamb kind of uh, uh, roasted quickly, quick broiled if you will with just some herbs on it you didn't have a lot of time to fix some fancy dinner when you do that, your kid says, why are you doing that? You'll say it's the sacrifice of the Lord Passover. It was more than just teaching the kid doctrine. It was teaching them the why. It was teaching them that the reason we're doing this is because there was a moment where our families were have been in captivity for over 100 years. There was a moment in which we had cried out to the Lord and God had heard our cry and Moses had come and God passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt and he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And so we do that. Don't just teach them the doctrine. Teach them the why. Why do I do this? Because look what God's done in my life. And perhaps if I could encourage you, yes, be thankful, yes, uh, uh, spend a moment of, of, of prayer and thankfulness around on your knees, God, but maybe this Thanksgiving around the table, I know you could discuss politics. I know you could discuss football. I know you could discuss Black Friday and what stores you're going to hit it. Well, now it happens Black Thursday, I guess. It starts about halfway through your Thanksgiving meal. and You could have a list all figured out where you're going, what you're buying. But I want to challenge you. Not just thank God for what he's done, but let somebody hear you be thankful. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 20 takes this a little bit further. And when thy son asks thee in the time to come, 
saying, What means the testimonies and the statutes and the judgment which the Lord our God hath commanded you? And so this kind of happening after, you know, there's a law from God. The, the, the Ten Commandments are starting to be uh, uh, situated and, and you're starting to see all of this. What does this mean? It says, then you say to thy son, don't tell him just the doctrine, but tell him we were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all of his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. The Lord commanded us to do these statutes to the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as unto this day. It's not just the doctrine. It's the why. Why do I serve the Lord today? Well, excuse me. Let, let's go to Joshua chapter 4. It's when they crossed the Jordan River and he commanded them, verse 3, Take you hence from the midst of Jordan out of the place where the priest's feet firm twelve stones. Carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge this night. And so they did that and they, uh, one man, each tribe, picked up a great big stone as big as he could carry and he carried it there and verse 6 says, This might be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in the times to come, what do you mean by these stones? That you would tell them that the waters of Jordan were cut off from before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. And the waters were of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children forever. There's sometimes you need to take a moment and give God thanks, but doing it as a memorial for those that follow. To remember where God was. It's more than teaching them doctrine. You're teaching them about the benefits and blessings of God, and you're letting others know that God has blessed you. Zane's here, and I'm embarrassed because I can't. Zane was little. He's such a cute little boy. I was going to put up a picture of him I found, but I decided not to. But one night, he's tucked in his PJs, and we were going to go to put him to sleep. And usually, we read a Bible story to him. Usually, we told the story, and I'd make something up. But I remember it vividly. On this particular night, he, he looked at me, and he's got, or he said, Dad, would you tell me a God story? And I knew what he meant. He meant a Bible story, but what turn of phrase? A God story. When's the last time you told a God story about your life? When's the last time you said, look what God has done? And it wasn't just a private prayer or devotion to the Lord, but it was, it, it was a, a God story to those around you. I'm convinced that the greatest thing you can do for the Lord is testify. Revelation tells that we will we'll overcome the enemy, we'll overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And, and I, I read a commentator today, and I, I was trying to just follow that phrase and where's that go, and the commentator said there's two, two ways that we testify. One is the lifestyle that we live. The morality that we have testifies. When you know, think about people who've walked up to you that you've never really told anything about your your experience with God. You've never told them anything. You you never had a Bible study with them, but they walk up to you and they say, you know, something's different about you. Just I, I just noticed something's different about you. You 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 carry yourself different. Your 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 conduct, your your speech, your, your is just different. 
So part of our testimony is what we don't say, but who we are. It's part of that character thing. But it is absolutely connected to what we say. There's a story that, not a story, but it's the truth, but it's been circulated in our family for years. And and if I could, just to to give you a really cool story, because I like this story, but I I want you to to realize how far-reaching a testimony can reach. In 1860-1870, my great-uncle Newton Cooper, he was a cowboy, and he rode the Chisholm Trail from San Antonio, Texas, up to Abilene, Kansas, that famous Longhorn Cattle Trail. He died in the 1930s, but he had a son that they called Little Newt. Little Newt was a cowboy, a rancher, an outdoorsman. I, uh, I've, I've, I've met, I don't know that I ever got a chance to, to meet Uncle Newt, but, but I got to meet other family members that were around there and they, they had a working ranch. They had these Catahoula curs, which are big dogs that were bred in Louisiana. And uh, they, they had a unique way of catching their cows. When they wanted to catch their cows to brand them or catch their cows to uh, give them a shot or something, rather than rope them, they sent this cow out there, this dog out there, and that dog would chase a cow, and I've seen it. Uh, he would chase a big old, big old steer or, or, or bull, and he would jump up and he'd bite that bull on the nose and with his weight, because the dogs would weigh almost 100 pounds, he'd, he'd bring that, that bull's face down and the, and the bull would trip over himself and flip. And then they could go and they could do it. They were cow dogs, Catahoula curs. Uncle Newt was part of that. Uncle Newt and his wife, Aunt Mitty, this is my grandmother's half-sister. They were God-fearing and praying people. In the early part of the 20th century, some may, may be old enough to, to go back that far. When times were hard and money was tight and the Great Depression had hit, there were a lot of mouths to feed, and you didn't just necessarily walk to say to a, a, a schnooks or, or or something like that and get your food. There was a lot of stuff you had to do on your own. And Uncle Newt, they they didn't have any food, and so he took up his gun and 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 the story has been told for generations that he stepped out of his house and he said, "God, we don't have any food." And I got a lot of mouths to feed. There were several orphans in that family, or you know, or, or, or orphans in, in the in the lineage of that family, and so a lot of them lived together with other family members and and other uh, branches of the family tree. And there were a lot there, and so he 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 stepped out of that that house, and he said, "God, just help me get something." It was a foggy day. He could not even see the the sky, and he heard geese flying over him. He hadn't hardly got off the porch house. He heard geese flying over him. And Uncle Newt just on a prayer, if you will, shot up in the air. And he heard something fall on the tin roof of his barn. And he got over there and he realized it was a blue goose. There, It's a real goose connect, called the light geese, connected to the white geese. And he had shot a goose, some would say by luck, but he would tell you it's because I prayed. And that goose hit the roof of that, that, that barn. And so they had some food. He got home and he dressed the goose. And, and if you know anything about the anatomy of, of birds, they have a, a sack in their gullet called the crop. Uh, birds don't have teeth. They can't, they can't chew their food. And, and, and so they will swallow 
the seeds and, and whatever, they'll swallow it and it gets in that crop. And a lot of times they will have also eaten a couple rocks that, that stay in there and, and those rocks will crush uh, the food and then they can get there. Well, he, had, he, he had opened that crop and there were dried peas in there. Uncle Newt put the peas aside and he cooked the goose for his family. Following spring, Uncle Newt planted those dried peas. That, that goose must have just eaten them. Hadn't even had a chance to, to get crushed. He, he, he planted them, and to his surprise, they grew. They were black-eyed peas. And he uh, was able to plant them, harvest them, prepare and eat them. And he would always save some. He would save those, what they called the blue goose peas. He would, you know, he'd, he'd plant them, they'd grow, he'd save some of them, dry them plant them again the next year and ever since then from the from the the early part of the 19th century ever since then the generations of our family have planted harvested prepared and eaten the blue goose peas almost every thanksgiving somebody in our family will have blue goose peas that they sat or that they've cooked and they always save a few extras handed down from generation to generation for five generations now and counting and Uncle Newton and Aunt Minnie Cooper, they, they, they would tell you that God provided by sending a blue goose just at the right time. And right when Uncle Newt walked off of it, when they desperately needed food, and they would tell you that those blue goose peas are a tribute to Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And I, I, I don't have any of those peas, but Dad does. They're, they're packed away in a nice little thing, and they're in his freezer. That's how you can make sure they'll be viable. Next year, he says he's going to plant them. He's planted them in the years past, and he'll plant those, those, those peas. It's stories like that that, that now that's a cool story because that's one of those stories that not everybody can tell. But that's not the only thing that God's done in my family. But those generational stories remind us that God has blessed us. That the God didn't just start blessing me yesterday. He's been blessing for years and years and years. Some may say, well, I'd like to bless God, but, you know, there's, there's not a lot to be thankful for. Well, I can help you out. In life, there's two things that are constant. Some say death and taxes, but the Bible says here's what's constant. Pleasure and tribulation. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. You're going to have things where everything seems to work right, and then you're going to have everything where things work wrong. Like Sunday morning, we preached in, in uh, Madison, uh, Madison, Tennessee. Preached there Friday night, preached there Saturday, had some incredible services. People got the Holy Ghost there, baptizing people. Sunday morning, I'm the visiting evangelist. Brother brother Harry, you, you, you've held that role. You know, you're the visiting evangelist visiting evangelist in a, in a church. And you know what your pastor did? Backed into one of their saints. I had to get out of the car. The visiting evangelist. Life ain't always great. Then they paid me. And you know what I did with the check? I threw it away by accident. That's, that's some days it just don't work out. So I go back to remember the blue goose peas and say, God, help me. Those, the reason the Bible says we're, we're patient in tribulation, we, 
let me just show you something. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So life isn't perfect, we know that. But Hebrews chapter 11 teaches this. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect into the recompense of the reward. It's interesting, and I'm, I'm just kind of throwing this out for you. The Bible teaches us that the devil will give you pleasure for a season, but tribulation for eternity. God says you might have tribulation for a season, but you can have pleasure for eternity. And so today, when I, when I look at that, the Bible says we're justified by faith. Romans 5.1, we're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we glory in tribulation. We know that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And so sometimes you tell the stories. Life's not always great. Uncle Newt loved to tell the story of, of you know, just shooting the gun up in the air when he couldn't even see the, the birds, just knowing they were flying over and it falling, and he got it, but he would always start that by telling you times were tough. Wasn't perfect. A lot of mouths to feed. I could go down the generations, my grandmother and my grandpa. I just told the story to, to Don uh, uh, yesterday. We, we got to talking about my grandfather. He's met him, met, met my grandmother. And I told the story of kind of how they came into church. And my, my grandfather would, would tell you he had a temper and, and, and he got mad at my grandmother one time. That he wasn't in church. He wasn't going to church. My grandmother was a new convert, and she was getting ready to go to church. And 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 he he she walked. She was walking to church, walking out of the house. And he told her. He said, uh, "Iris, I don't want you going to church. You got to choose. It's either church or me." My grandmother said, "Well, I choose church." My grandpa reached out and grabbed her arm and got mad and twisted it and tore her dress. And she just kept on walking. But it was at that moment that my grandfather, he would tell you, and I, every time he told it, he'd have tears and die, but, but he'd say, but it was at that moment that I realized, number one, I never wanted to lose Iris, my wife. He said, so I chased after her because I couldn't, I couldn't live without her. He said, but at that moment, I realized this God thing was something bigger than I thought. And he would tell the story. I've heard those stories. I've heard stories of, and I can't remember who it is in the De Quincey Church, but one day they got out of, this is this is way back, you know, probably in the forties or fifties, but they uh, they got out in their old car, and the transmission broke, and they couldn't go. Not that any of you would ever do this, but most of us would say, "Well, car broke down, can't go to church," because we usually find excuses far less than that to not come to church. By the way, but instead they realized they had reverse. And they drove to church in reverse for seven miles. When church was over, they drove home seven miles in reverse. I have no, long, I have no idea how long it took. But it was those stories that as a kid, I could sit and they would tell. I began to realize there's something about this God. Sir. What makes 
person drive in reverse for seven miles if, they're, if it's not worth it. You hear the, the tribulation. You hear the, the stories. But you see what God has done. And I'm asking you today, when's the last time you thank God, but you did it so someone else would hear? When's the last time you told someone that, hey, you were in a tight spot, but look what God's done. Because that thanksgiving is not just thanking God in a prayer, but it's that testimony as well. And in this, I I guess we could call it season of thanksgiving. I'm challenging you to not keep your thanksgiving private, but be vocal with it. Be, Be willing to say, You've had bad days. Be willing to say life's been tough. We, be willing to say you've come short of the glory of God. Be willing to show that you've walked a road you weren't proud of. But look what God has done. Look where he brought me from. Look at how far I've come. Look at how, even though my life could have been going this way, but going back to Romans chapter 1, I'm going to thank God that he kept me from that. And if you'll do that, The greatest thing you could ever do, you can defeat the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. I wonder if we could stand today. There's a commandment to be thankful. Some would say that true thankfulness is really not what you say or do, but it's the lifestyle or it's the it's the attitude behind it, I guess, is what I'm saying. A lot of times around, around Thanksgiving, you hear this, this little phrase that says it's the attitude of gratitude. I'm connected to a couple people on Facebook. None of y'all. You can, you can, well, I am connected to y'all, but I'm not talking about you, at least not that I know of. But, you know, if you want to do something interesting, Go to somebody's Facebook page and stalk them. Start at the very first post and go back a couple months and look at all of their posts. Not posts that anybody else did. Look at their posts. And you can get, if they use Facebook, you can get a very good idea of their attitude. I've got a few people in mind, nobody here, not even anybody in in Missouri. But every post they post is about how they want to sue somebody. They're so mad at somebody. They hate the police. They hate the, the government. They hate this. They hate that. And they're and unfortunately, this guy is, is a preacher, not with our organization, but he's a preacher. And, and he's, he, he goes to somebody else's church, and he runs them down. He talks about how bad that church was. And, and just every post is negative, negative, negative. But then I go to other people's page. And I know their life ain't great. I mean, at least, you know, in the visible, what you see. I know they're struggling. I know they're hurting. I know they're in pain. But you never see it. There's a different attitude. They begin to thank God for what he's done and for what he's going to do. And so I'm, I'm challenging you. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving, and it makes this sermon a little bit easier because we're thinking about it. But I'm challenging you to be thankful. To first off, take 
moments, not just this next week, not even in the month of November only, but for the rest of your life, take time to walk back to Jesus and say thank you for what you've done in my life. Go back a little bit and say thank you for what you did last year. It could have been a lot worse. Thank you for what you did here. Thank you for what you've done 20 years ago. It could have been a lot worse. But then I want to challenge you, especially those of you that have families. I want to challenge you to let your children in on the secret of your life. Let those around you in on the secret of your life. God's touched me. Maybe you can't tell them everything, every dark secret. I get that. But there's a lot you can so that others can see that God has blessed. I wonder if you could just close your eyes for a moment as they begin saying for just a second. And I wonder if you could start thankfulness right now. To say, Lord, I'm thankful for what done in my life. Lord, I see your hand on my life.